Life is full of challenges. With an unpredictable economy and just as surprising life changes, you need to be prepared to weather any storm. Elder Law and Estate Planning Attorney Kevin Tharp and Financial Advisor Gary Anderson are available to help you with life's difficult decisions. This is Truth in Planning. Why do I have to go through probate? I'm Kevin Tharp, Elder Law and Estate Planning Attorney. And I'm Gary Anderson, Financial Advisor, Anderson Advisors. Gary, I've been asked this question so many times over the years, especially as an estate planning attorney, but even occasionally as an elder law attorney. Recently, I got a call. It was this widow and her daughter, and they called uh, because their husband, father, just recently passed away, and they were at the bank, and the bank would not give the wife or the daughter any information or access to husband's bank account. And they couldn't understand why. They produced a power of attorney document. They even produced the will that this person had. Now, this was not one of my clients, but a prospective client. And they called and said, Kevin, I need help. The bank will not let us get to this bank account, do anything with it. We've got bills that we have to pay and take care of and we need we don't have any access they're telling us we're going to have to go through probate but that's why my dad did a will right to avoid having to go through probate well check the title Hmm. previous show that aired last week we talked about the importance of checking title And that's the reason you have to go through probate is because not because of the document you had. It's because the document you had, the will, was missing title. The law of title is literally no different than the law of gravity. Why do I hit the ground every time I get on top of this radio building and jump off? Why do I hit the ground? I have a document, and I was told that's not going to happen. There is no exception to this rule called the law of title. The law of title says if your title of your assets are not coordinated with your document, if your will is missing title, somebody at some point is going to go through probate. Why do you have to go through probate? To pass title because the deceased person didn't take care of title before they died. So why do you have to go through probate? Title. Title determines everything. Not document. But Gary, so often, radio commercial after radio commercial, I hear with other attorneys, even elder law attorneys on this show, podcasts that I listen to, YouTube videos, people I talk to in other professions, financial advisors, CPAs, even other lawyers. The central focus is all about getting your document in order. But if document is missing title, which it will in every case with a will, then somebody at some point is going to have to go through probate because the purpose of probate is to pass title. And so that's why you have to go through probate. But there's a positive answer to that question. Why do I have to go through probate? You don't. That's the positive answer to the question. Does everybody have to go through probate? No. 
You can avoid, are there ways that I can avoid probate? Yes. How can I avoid probate? Get the title of your assets coordinated with your legal document that has your wishes about what you want to happen when you die. And you will guarantee 100% avoid probate. And that's why we like using a living trust. Because it's a legal document that's in effect right now while you're living. It can contain every wish you want about what you want to happen to your assets when you die. And you can title your assets in coordination with that trust. You can make the trust the owner of your home. You can make the trust the beneficiary of your bank account, brokerage account, retirement account, life insurance policy. And when you coordinate wishes and title together, there will be no need for probate. You're listening to Truth in Planning. I'm Gary Anderson, financial advisor, Anderson Advisors, and I'm here with my co-host, Kevin Tharp, estate planning and elder law attorney. And Kevin today is answering the question, why do I have to go through probate? And Kevin, I know that you tell people a lot of times and, and get people to a point to where they know they don't have to go through probate. So why I don't have to go through probate becomes a, a good question, too. Absolutely. So you mean I don't have to go through probate? It's a question I've been asked a number of times. And I'm also told this. Well, Kevin, I was told that everybody has to go through probate. No. Who told you that? Oh, well, the attorney attorney told me that I have to go through probate. Now, they'll say probate's no big deal. And that's an entirely different question of whether probate's a big deal or not. In fact, we're going to talk about that in the next segment. Is probate a big deal? Why is it a big deal? Why do some people say it's not? Hmm. But the bottom line is you go through probate or not simply by tell me how your asset is titled. Don't tell me what document you have. Tell me how things are titled. And at some point, you're going to go through probate. Now, are there alternatives to it? Yes. Get your wishes and title of wishes in a legal document. Title your assets in coordination with that document. You will avoid probate. Well, is there any other ways besides using a trust? Yes. Those may not be the best ways that protect your beneficiaries, but you can avoid probate by owning things jointly. Very common with a married couple. Not recommended for parents to own anything joint, especially their home, with their children. But we have people that are told to do that all the time. Okay? Put your kid's name on your bank account, and that way they have access, and they'll get it when you die. We especially hear that. We were told that when we have one child. person at the bank says, well, just put Callie's name on your bank account. Well, first of all, she's 19 years old. I don't think that's a good idea. <laughs> but even if she were 39 years old, and we put her name, on our her name on our bank account, and she gets a divorce. Her husband files for divorce. Can he get our bank account? Yeah, because of the way it's titled. Oh, yeah, I may leave it to her when I die outside of probate, but there could be other problems. Hmm. Well, just name beneficiaries. I hear this all the time from financial advisors. When I tell my clients or recommend to my clients, change the beneficiary on your retirement account. I hear this especially when they are advised to do that. Or your life insurance to from your spouse and kids to your trust. They'll go, well, you don't need that. Just make your spouse and kids your beneficiary of your retirement account. And 
in your life insurance, they're going to get it and they'll get it outside of probate. So, yeah, there is an alternative way to avoid probate without using a trust. But here's the problem with that alternative way. If I name my daughter, my wife is the beneficiary of my retirement account and she survives me. But God forbid she's in a nursing home like what happened when my mother passed away. My father was in a nursing home. What's going to happen? They're not protected. What happens if when my uh, if I pass away, my daughter survives me, but she's in the middle of a divorce like happened in my family? If my daughter's named as the beneficiary on that account, there's no asset protection. But if I change the beneficiary to a trust, she's going to get it. She's going to get it outside of probate and they will be protected because the best way to protect an inheritance is to leave it to them through a trust. That's and you're going to avoid probate on top of it. So although there may be alternatives to avoiding probate, the best alternative is to avoid probate by using a trust, because then, you know, your surviving spouse or your beneficiaries will also be protected. Kevin, why don't you give people your information? And a lot of people have the question out there right now, how can I avoid probate? And I know you can answer that for them. Gary, the best way to reach me is through my website, and that's kevintharp.com. Coming up next, Social Security. Is it actually going broke? You're listening to Truth and Planning. Is Social Security going broke? I'm Gary Anderson, financial advisor, Anderson Advisors. And I'm Kevin Tharp, elder law and estate planning attorney. Kevin, Social Security is an integral part of our retirement. Most retirement plans, you're building in this, this given that we have out there that you're going to be getting Social Security for the rest of your life. And in addition to the Social Security that you're getting now or will be getting initially, you're going to get more because you're getting cost of living adjustments pretty much every year based on inflation, consumer price index. So we really do understand how important this source of income is for most people. And this is all built into a retirement plan that we put together for people, but we're also having to assume that, hmm, we may not be getting the same amount of Social Security now or later than we do now. For people who are in younger generations, and this get, we should get your attention a little bit, right now uh, you have to understand that basically you're paying for other people who have already retired. You're paying for their Social Security with the Social Security taxes that you're paying now. So, yes, Social Security is not very solvent. And you, whenever you look at a Social Security statement, you can go online and it'll tell you that, well, it did. They've kind of taken that away now, that at a certain time, Social Security will be insolvent. The Social Security trust fund will be insolvent. Basically, we're at that time right now. Now, you know, what is happening now is basically we're printing more dollars to pay everybody's Social Security benefits at this point. But it is a question that most everybody that I talk to has. Well, how can I count on Social Security? I believe to some extent that it's going to be fixed for anyone who's listening to the show right now. And I'm talking about pretty much anybody from age zero up to age 100. I 
I feel like that our elected officials will get serious about this some at some point and fix it. Unfortunately, some of those fixes won't be real palatable. We won't really appreciate a lot of this because, you know, right now, if you're born after 1960, then your retirement age, your full Social Security retirement age is 67. And um, if you're 63 or 64 right now, you're thinking, yeah, full retirement age, 67. I'm going to start it then. Well, one of the solutions to save money in Social Security is to extend the full retirement age, extend it further out. Right now, the maximum Social Security age retirement age is 70. That means if you have decided not to take Social Security up until age 70, you have to start taking it then. There's been talk that that might go to 73 or 75, and uh, that could happen. But also raising that full retirement age to possibly age 70, somewhere in there. So if you planned on retiring all these years at age 67, let's say, then you, if you do that, there's a good chance because of what our elected officials might do, you might not get your full Social Security benefit. So, yes, that is a concern. And they would rather, of course, anyone who's receiving Social Security right now, most of our elected officials would rather address having to make Social Security solvent with younger generations. Because if you start messing with Social Security now, for people who are already receiving Social Security benefits, uh, that could be a very traumatic event for a lot of politicians. So we want to make sure, number one, that your overall retirement plan, your financial retirement plan, does include some some possibility of Social Security not increasing for you the way it has, or potentially maybe even reduce Social Security at some point in time. Although, you know, that could be that uh, that opportunity could be kind of slim. I look at that becoming more of an issue down the line. Also, another way to make Social Security more solvent is to raise the payroll tax, raise the tax that you pay for Social Security now. Well, who am I addressing at this point? Mm, I'm not addressing the people who are already retired here again. I'm addressing the people riding down the road right now listening to this show. They're still working. That's right. You're 25 years old, and you're thinking, great. I understand what income taxes do. I understand what that, that Social Security tax does. But now you're telling me I could be paying more for both. I could be paying more in income taxes. I could be paying more in Social Security taxes to fund Social Security for myself, but it's also funding people who are already retired. So, yeah, that gives you reason to maybe be a little more reflective as to you know how this is going to be addressed because we don't want it impacting future generations to the point that they can't even function because they're paying so much in Social Security taxes. In the earlier midlife stage of Social Security, I know I remember reading a statistic, something along the lines of there were three workers working for every retiree mm-hmm. and somewhere around the midlife Point. Social Security had a midlife crisis. A lot of it had to do with politicians spending that money and putting IOUs in the box. But it then came to, and just due to aging of the population, it's now 
there's uh, one worker working for three Social Security recipients. Mm-hmm. And it's that it's just a system that is set up. I know that uh, periodically uh, my dad figured this out and he'd call the office periodically. He'd call like in the middle of the week, like on a Tuesday. And he would call me on my cell phone and he'd say, you're out playing golf, Kevin? I'm like, well, dad, it's Tuesday, 10 o'clock in the morning, the second week of February and it's 30 degrees outside. No, I'm not playing golf. Good. I just check because I'm getting ready to go to uh, my doctor's visits and, and on all, I want to make sure my Medicare's paid up and I know you're the one that's contributing to it. So he wanted to make sure I'm still working and contributing to the system. I'm like, gee, thanks, Dad. I'm glad I can help you out there. So yeah. who's going to help you out at some right. point? That's the yeah. big question. Am I going to call my daughter and she's going to say, sorry, bankrupt. Right? But yeah, Kevin, that is, it is a big concern for people. How do we address it? Well, If you do have potentially other sources of income, which most people listening to this show do, you've got a 401k out there. You could have a pension. You could have other funds outside of your 401k, your IRA, maybe in a bank account, maybe in a brokerage account. All of these things can be used to produce more income down the line. So a lot of times, just as a safeguard when we put together a retirement income plan for people, we build in the fact that mm, maybe Social Security you won't be getting the same amount or you won't be getting these increases over the years. So let's make sure that something can take the place of that. And it really deals as well with your spouse. If both spouses right now are still alive, it becomes even more of an impact because one Social Security will go away when one spouse dies. So we have to be ready not only for the fact that Social Security might not be performing later the way it is now, but also making sure that a spouse who is a surviving spouse will still have enough income to live off of. That's why the plan has to be put together considering all those things. Again, not a complicated plan. We don't want to get into a, get this to a point to where you can't even understand what it is you're planning. And so we put a plan together that addresses these things. And then going forward, we make adjustments to the plan because those adjustments are built into it. It's just a matter of picking and choosing which adjustments to use at some point in time. So this is something that you want to be able to do. You want to have a retirement plan, look at it, and understand, okay, if Social Security is not working the way, you know, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, the way it's working now, what do I do? You have that in there already. You know what you're going to do with it. This is why you have a plan. Gary, how can our listeners take that first step to start their plan? Kevin, it's a real simple conversation. Sometimes it's a phone call just to make sure that we can that we can help you. And sometimes it's just an office meeting. We enjoy having people come in. We'll be enjoy having you. We'll enjoy having you come in, and we'll make sure that we go over these things so we can get a good picture of where you are now, and ways that we can help you go forward. So you can call us at eight 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 three seven one two eight four seven. In the next segment, we're going to answer the question: Is probate a big deal? You're listening to Truth and Planning.
Is probate a big deal? I'm Kevin Tharp, elder law and estate planning attorney. And I'm Gary Anderson, financial advisor, Anderson Advisors. Gary, I think the answer to that question has a lot to do with the perspective of the person you're asking that question to. I know recently uh, I had a procedure that a lot of people who are, you know, know, over 45, it's recommended that you have this particular procedure. Uh, You know what I'm talking about. You've Mm -hmm. had it done. And the doctor who was helping with that went through and basically described all that was, you know, going to happen. And he literally said, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. Other people that I, uh, you know, had it that I know. Uh, Tell me the same thing. It's not a big deal. Worst part is you've got to drink all this nasty liquid stuff. Uh, but other than that, it's no big deal. Okay. Now, when, my, when this doctor told me it was no big deal, he was telling me from this perspective, I'm sitting on the cold hospital table. Slab. Slab. <laughs> and I'm in this gown that literally was probably would have fit me when I was six. And I am absolutely freezing to death, and I'm looking around, and I'm seeing all of this medical equipment around, and I know that eventually the anesthesiologist is going to come in, and there will be a needle involved. So I am extremely anxious about all of it, okay? And so, and that was my, when he goes, yeah, it's no big deal, and I'm like, yeah, from your perspective. And that's what happens a lot of times when people ask the attorney, an attorney. And I would imagine that if you surveyed, you know, 20 attorneys in the North Georgia area and posed that question to them, I would probably say 19, 18 to 19 out of those 20 would say probate in Georgia is no big deal. And here's typically why they say it's not a big deal. Oh, the filing fees are very inexpensive. It's a very simple process. Your spouse and kids have to sign off on things. Usually there's no problems. Uh, You know, it's not a big deal. A couple hundred dollars filing fee, that's all you have to do. As an attorney, from my perspective, and for many of those attorneys that will tell you probate's no big deal, it's not from their perspective. Why? Because that's what they do every day. Just like that doctor who gastroenterologist that does colonoscopies every single day, five or six of them or maybe more every day, it's not a big deal. But it is from my perspective. And here's why it's a big deal, okay? because I, as an attorney, like to help my clients. And one way I do is put myself in their shoes. It may not be a big deal for me professionally, because that's what I do for a living. But put myself in the client's shoes, it's a big deal and can be a big deal. And I would tell you that my clients will tell you, and I have just as many war stories, bad war stories about what happens when a person goes through probate. But here's the biggest reason I think probate is a big deal. You do not have to go through it. And if you just focus on a couple of things, there are alternatives to avoiding it. And you can, by focusing on these things, they're not complicated. They're not overly involved. They don't involve you giving up ownership even. And these couple of things are very simple. Get the title of your assets coordinated with your legal document that contains your wishes. And the only legal document 
without giving up ownership. And the only legal document that will let you do that, exactly that, is a revocable living trust. Oh, yeah, there's alternatives to a revocable living trust, like a will. But the problem is a will is missing title. And so guaranteed, whether you die with a will or without a will, there will be probate. If you're a married couple, it may not be the first time. I know many times I've heard married couples say, I know that when my uh, spouse died or I know that when my parents died, we didn't have to go through probate. It was no big deal. And I said it had nothing to do with your will. It had everything to how things were titled. Did you have things jointly owned with your spouse? Yes. Did you have your spouse as a beneficiary? Yes. With your parents, did they have you and your siblings named as a beneficiary on things? Yes. Did, were their names on your their bank your names on their bank account? Yes. That's why you avoided probate. It wasn't because of the document you had. It was because of the way things were titled. So yes, there is an alternative to probate. No, everybody does not have to go through probate. And recently, I had a conversation with a widow and a daughter who called me and they had no access to their father husband's bank account and they were told by the bank you've got to go through probate if you want that access why because of the way that account was titled because see there the when a document is missing title guaranteed you will you will not uh, avoid probate. You will have to go through probate. You're listening to Truth in Planning. I'm Gary Anderson, financial advisor. My co-host, Kevin Tharp, state planning and elder law attorney, today is talking about why is probate a big deal. And Kevin, why is probate a big deal and what you can do about it? I think you're answering these questions for people out there, and I think mm-hmm. they you know, would probably like to come talk to you at some point in time about it, too. It's a big deal, Gary, because you can avoid it. It's like a medical procedure. If there were alternatives to doing this colonoscopy, if there were an alternative to drinking that nasty drink that you have to drink, (laughs) trust me, everybody would be doing it. Mm -hmm. And what would you think of your doctor if there was an alternative to this? And he said, oh, well, everybody's got to do it this way. Everybody has to do this and everybody has to go through this process. And you found out later that there was an alternative to that. You wouldn't be very happy, would you? I know. Oh, it's no big deal. It is a big deal. And the reason it's a big deal is you don't have to go through it. And there are simple alternatives to avoiding this process called probate. Because here are the things that can happen in probate. Number one, if you go through probate, because the purpose of probate, remember, is is to transfer title from the deceased person to their spouse, surviving spouse, or their children. Once you achieve, one of the ways you have to achieve that purpose is you have to prove that your assets, your estate, has been used to pay your creditors. And the way creditors are notified is you have to put an ad in the newspaper, and that ad runs anywhere from four to six weeks, and invites everybody out there to come and find out what your estate consisted of. The names and addresses and information of your surviving spouse and your children and where your property, if you own property, is located and how much is it worth and other information 
that you and your family would want to keep private, especially at a time when you're losing a loved one. Last thing in the world you want is people calling your number and asking when you're going to sell your daddy's property or your parents' property or your husband or wife's property. Yet it happens all the time. Why? Because probate is a public process. So you want to keep things private? You want to avoid the big deal of the public publicity and making everything public knowledge? Get wishes and title coordinated together, and that's exactly what a revocable trust will do. Other reasons to avoid probate is people can challenge your wishes in probate process. Probate gives others the opportunity because you have to give people notice that you've passed away and they have to sign off on those wishes, especially even if you have those wishes written in a will. Certain people can challenge your wishes from your surviving spouse to your children or other people. And if you live in a blended family, trust me, death and money change people. Mm -hmm. You can avoid all that by avoiding probate and a revocable trust will let you do that. Kevin, Tell us how to avoid probate. Can we can we meet with you? Can we sit down and meet with you? Yes, you can. And the best way to start is my website, kevintharp.com. Taxes could be a big deal during your retirement. You're listening to Truth and Planning. Taxes during your retirement. What's the big deal? I'm Gary Anderson, financial advisor, Anderson Advisors. And I'm Kevin Tharp, elder law and estate planning attorney. Kevin, earlier you were talking about the big deal with probate after someone dies. Taxes are always a big deal to most all of us at any point in time. But don't think for a minute, just because you've retired, the IRS is going to send you a letter and say, great job, Kevin. You paid taxes your entire life, ever since you were out on the highway helping your dad all those years and things like that. You were paying taxes then. You don't have to pay anymore. That's not going to happen. The only way that would happen is if you weren't making any income. That's pretty much it. So taxes will continue during your retirement. In years past, in generations past, a lot of times we said, yeah, but taxes are going to be a lot less during your retirement. That's kind of the concept really behind the traditional 401k, the traditional IRA, is delaying paying taxes on those particular accounts that you would have when you start taking money out of it. You're going to pay the taxes on them then. You didn't pay taxes on it before unless it's a Roth. And so when you retire you're probably going to find out that you've got a lot of money accumulated in those retirement accounts. You, maybe your spouse, both of you have 401ks that are nice, big 401k accounts. You've accumulated it well over the years. You did a marvelous job of contributing to it. But one thing you didn't do at that point in time was pay taxes on the money you were putting into those traditional accounts. So you got a little tax break then, but the tax man cometh. The tax man is going to be here at some point in time to collect the taxes that you delayed paying. Because basically what you did, it's not really a tax-deferred vehicle more than it is a tax-delayed vehicle. You're going to have to pay taxes on it. Now, there are ways with planning that you can be very 
constructive, very creative, and minimize taxes at any point in time, that's one reason we plan. We plan for taxes during your retirement because we know it's probably going to have a bigger impact on you than you think it will. One little caveat that we have out there right now is the expiration of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that comes around in 2020, the end of 2025, January 2026. Your taxes are going to go up unless our elected official decide to extend that Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017. Some people call that the Trump tax cuts. But there's a very, very good chance because of the environment in Washington that we have right now and the fact that we've got to get things like inflation under control, interest rates under control, things like that, that you'll have to make sure that you have some provisions there to pay taxes right on during your retirement. And there's a very, very good chance in January of 2026, you're going to be paying more automatically. Whatever you were paying before is going to go up as of January 1st of 2026 because of this phenomenon called the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. We have to be ready for that. We have to, if you're concerned about it, which you should be, I'm here to make you concerned about it because there's things that you can do even now to avoid some of this if you plan. And a plan is always very important is when we do a retirement income plan, taxes are a part of that. We get a good idea then as to how much you're going to be paying in taxes when you retire. And so we build this into the plan. And I know I talk a lot about building things into the plan. This is a format we follow when we put together a plan for people. So what do you do about having to pay taxes in your retirement? You minimize the impact of those taxes at really at any point in one point in time. That's why things like taking money from your IRA earlier rather than later sometimes helps you a lot because you're spreading those taxes out over a longer period of time. Simple things like that. Converting to a Roth. That's another way. Now, the next two years are very critical because the Roth conversion is much more efficient for you right now if you do it. But even after that, you can still certainly convert to Ross, and that will save you taxes later down the line during your retirement when you can take tax-free income. So see, you start balancing the sources of income out between taxable, fully taxable, like your IRA, your 401k, Social Security, which can be somewhat taxable, your pension, which is taxable, and now you have distributions from accounts that aren't an IRA that you've already paid taxes on, well, Roth being one of those, that becomes a good source of income as well. And that's why it's good to go ahead and plan now, even before you're retired. Ideally, if you're in your 50s right now, a conversation would be very beneficial to you to understand how all these things can impact you and then how to build them into a plan to be able to address those when the time comes. Gary, when you said earlier that the tax man cometh, I got this visual of the Grim Reaper. Yeah. The difference is he's got a side hustle because he puts on an IRS hat as well. (laughs) And every time tax comes around, here comes the Grim Reaper with his IRS hat on. But it's true. It's just like uh, Ben Franklin said, there's nothing more certain in this life than death and taxes. Mm -hmm. And that's true. It's coming. It's always going to be a part of this. 
And I know that you've uh, done a lot of shows and are, and are looking at doing future shows on some things you can do specifically. And what are some things that are going to happen in January 2026 when these go away? And again, that's assuming that Congress does nothing. And right now, those two words go together. Do nothing <laughs> and Congress go together. So, And, and in estate planning, we're doing the same thing. We're looking at some things that are going to affect many of our estate planning clients and what are some things they can do before they die to minimize this, these taxes, especially to their children. Well, yeah. And so you can build it into the plan, even though it may be a projection of what may or may not happen. It's better to prepare for it and not need it than need it and not have prepared for well, it. That's right, Kevin. And a good plan is preparing for it. And you you uh, you talked about one thing there, future generations. That also includes what future generations, how they can be impacted by these taxes too. And a lot of times people say, well, I don't care about them. They can, they can sink or swim on their own. But you really do care. You really want to make sure that you're giving them or leaving them more efficient ways to use their money without having to pay so much in taxes. And you talk about the tax man cometh, the grim reaper, things like that. Always remember this. The tax man is only doing what our elected officials have commissioned them to do. They created the laws. They put these things together. The tax people, the IRS, have to make interpretations of that, and they have to act on it and collect on it. So they're given this amazingly cumbersome job of figuring out what the politicians meant by some of these laws they created. I don't, that, that is a job I do not envy whatsoever. It's, well, especially being an elected official, I do not, in, you know, I do not have any aspirations to ever do anything like that naturally and being so, a former employee of the irs i can tell you it doesn't help your social life to be a part of that <laughs> yeah, organization right. either but that's a whole different it's story. hard to get past that you what you want to do is explain no 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 i'm just doing what the elected officials told me to do that's what okay, the, that's all we see right now is, is you that's right <laughs> yeah i'm the bad guy in the room <laughs> that's exactly right so that's taxes well another thing kevin and this addresses a lot of the planning that you do and the things that you do health care cost Wait, Gary, Social Security, I've got Social Security, I've got Medicare, I have my supplemental insurance, maybe I have Medicare Advantage, um, which I have my opinion about Medicare Advantage, and I can share that with you if you come talk to us. But, Kevin, you're still, if there are health care costs or there, there are health care-related costs, it's going to cost you a lot when things start to go wrong, when you start to have more health issues as you get older during re- your retirement. Our plan needs to address the fact that you could be here a long time. It also needs to address the fact that your health care expenses are going to go up. All these things surrounding that. The spouse at home, if you have if you have one spouse who is in a skilled facility, a nursing facility, the spouse at home will have additional expenses they're going to have to address. So this, again, needs to be a part of your overall plan. If that you never have a lot of health care issues, that's great. Then you didn't need to implement that part of the plan, but at least you know it's there because the majority of people will have health issues the older they get, even though they're perfectly healthy right now. We have, to, we have to address the fact that it could happen and most likely will. So health care costs become a big issue, especially in the later years of your retirement. Gary, how can our listeners prepare for these things that we know are going to happen? Kevin, they can call us at Anderson Advisors, 888-371-2847. 
Investment advisory services are offered through Anderson Advisors, a registered investment advisory firm. Anderson Advisors is an independent financial services firm that helps people create retirement strategies using a variety of insurance and investment products. Investments involves risk, including the potential for loss of principal. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Any reference to protection, safety, and lifetime income generally refers to fixed insurance products, never securities or investments. Insurance guarantees are backed by the strength and paying capabilities of the insurance carrier. This show is intended for informational and educational purposes only and should not be construed as investment advice. You should consult with a financial advisor to help determine the best options for your particular circumstances. No statement made during this show shall constitute tax or legal advice. Our firm is not endorsed by the United States government or any governmental agency. The information and opinions construed herein presented by third parties have been obtained from sources believed to be reliable. Completeness cannot be guaranteed. Neither Gary Anderson or Anderson Advisors is affiliated with attorney J. Kevin Tharp or any guests on this show. Thank you.